Proverbs 27, 17. Will you please read this with me? As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Let's read that again. As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. My husband Adam sharpens things all the time. I don't know what it is, but he likes that job, and I'm thankful he does. He sharpens his axe, his pocket knife, the lawnmower blades, the scissors. Uh, He likes sharpening blades. He says they need to be sharp because they're dangerous if they're not sharp. A dull knife, it it often can cause more harm than good because it can slip and not, not provide the cut that we want it to do. And so when a metal is sharpening a metal, when iron is sharpening iron, you scrape the two things together, and you're basically taking little metal shavings off of it to to make the blade more specific. I would suggest that Christians who don't get sharpened, when they're dull, are also less useful and also more dangerous for God's kingdom. I was looking into the Iron Age, and was just thinking, when, when was the Iron Age? And I went and kind of did a little bit of history, and the Iron Age was actually right around the time when this proverb was written. The Iron Age was around uh, 1200 BC to 550 BC, and iron at this time was their greatest technology. Everybody was pretty excited about iron. It revolutionized tools and weapons, and great advances were made in metalworking and, and how they, what they were learning about what metalworking could do. And so when the proverb was written, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another, it would have been at the height of the Iron Age. Uh, maybe you would say that this was really a cutting-edge proverb. Um, Adam says, Christy, you tell jokes so bad because, like, you make it really obvious that people are supposed to laugh and it, like, is not funny anymore. So, sorry about that. I tried. But today we're talking about how people sharpen each other. And specifically, as we're in this series on relationships, this Love Handles series, we're specifically talking about how people sharpen each other in their marriage relationships, in dating relationships, and also in key Christian friendships. It's this idea that we need to help each other follow Jesus. We repeat that after me, help each other follow Jesus. I first felt a a tug to talk about this several years ago because I began to talk with people where I would see in their marriages, one spouse was not helping the other one live for Christ. In fact, I was seeing the opposite, where one spouse would be struggling in their relationship with God or just in life in general and would pull the other one away and the other wouldn't have the the strength to stay committed to what they needed to do to follow Jesus faithfully. And I've, I've I've seen it in multiple conversations with people, with marriage, with dating. And we talked a little bit about dating versus friendship last week. If you have a friend who is pulling you away from the things of God and you notice it's happening, it's good to set boundaries. I've shared with you about when I found myself being influenced by somebody who was drifting in their faith and I'm like, I just need to kind of have a little bit more distance, a little bit more boundaries here. If you are dating somebody who you know deep down is causing you to tune out God's voice, if you're dating somebody who's pulling you away from godly living, run. We talked about how to break up last week. 
Um, interestingly enough, I had three people tell me that they had just gone through breakups last week, so clearly the Lord was moving in our midst. Now the question will be if anybody has broken up since the sermon last week on how to actually do it. If you're married to somebody who is not helping you follow the Lord, the rules are a little different. Remember how we talked about the difference between a friendship and a dating relationship and the covenant dynamics of marriage. In the Bible, we talked about some of these things last week in 1 Corinthians 7 with some of the, the rules that God gives about what do you do if you're in a marriage with an unbelieving spouse and, and you're unequally yoked in that way. We, we talked about some of those things. So there are some different instructions for those who are in the marriage relationship. But keep in mind that a healthy marriage will help you follow the Lord and seek to be the kind of spouse who helps the other follow the Lord too. Healthy Christian marriages, dating relationships, and friendships are going to help you follow the Lord, not take you away from that. We read the story about how Eve stood in the garden looking at that fruit it looked good. It was ripe. She could smell it. It smelled good. It was beautiful. And this tree that the fruit was on was shrouded in mystique. There was something different about this tree, and it drew her in probably precisely because God had said it was off limits. And the leafy branches of this tree were, were heavy with beautiful colorful, aromatic fruit. But she'd heard, Adam had heard from God, and Adam had told her that she couldn't eat this fruit. God had told Adam in Genesis 2.16, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, any tree, lots of freedom. Verse 17, but you must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will surely die. So God gives that instruction to Adam. This is before the woman is created. But directly after that, the very next verse in Genesis 2.18, as soon as the Lord says, you can't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you do, you will surely die. The next verse, the Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. These verses are connected. It's because of a lack of healthy community makes the human more vulnerable to disobedience. We need each other. We need iron to sharpen iron. And Eve had heard all these things before. She'd been told she could quote God's word. But still, as she stood that day gazing at this pleasing fruit, she couldn't help but wonder. Genesis 3, verse 1, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. But God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. So the serpent comes in, and he plants a seed of doubt in the woman. He said, are you sure you got that right? Did God really say that? 
And he said, did God really say you can't eat from any of the trees? He's twisting it because God didn't say they couldn't eat from any of the trees. He said there's only one you can't eat from. You can eat from anything else. So he's, he's twisting God's words. He says, and he says, didn't God say you can't eat from any tree? He's sowing questions. He's sowing doubts. He wants to get the woman in the position to doubt God because he knows if he can get her to doubt God, he can twist all kinds of her thinking. And at first, the woman is strong. She says, she corrects him, and she says, oh, we can't eat from the other trees. We may. But God did say, you're right, God did say we can't eat from this tree. And then she adds an interesting line. She says, we can't eat from this tree, and we can't touch it, or we'll die. Now, did God give that instruction to Adam that they can't touch it? No, not that we know of from the scriptures. She seems to add that dynamic. And church, I think often when we are in a place of doubting, often we trick ourselves into thinking things like, God has so many rules God is so harsh. God asks so much. And, and we often add in our heads words to what God's word actually is. And we often will believe slightly twisted truth. And I wonder at what point Eve touches the fruit and realizes, I don't die yet. The serpent responds in verse 4, You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman. He says this with an air of confidence, like he knows. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So to some degree, the serpent is correct, because it's not like Eve and Adam eat the fruit and suddenly drop dead. They don't drop dead. But death does enter the world. Living death enters creation at this point. And this living death will only be able to be overcome by the living eternal life that Jesus will bring. So the serpent pushes and he pushes and he pushes and the serpent wants us to think things like, God keeps secrets from me. God is sneaky. God is too harsh. God has too many rules. God is keeping good things from me. And church, in our dating relationships, in our marriage relationships, in our singleness, don't we often have those thoughts, God is keeping good things from me. And we find ourselves tempted fruit that isn't for us. How many times have you been convinced that God, for whatever reason, is withholding good from you? Genesis 3, 6, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also, according to the serpent, desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Adam apparently had been here the whole time. He saw this. He heard the words of the serpent. He saw Eve thinking about the fruit. He saw Eve take the fruit and pull it off the tree and take a bite. And when she handed it to him, he took it in his hands and he also took a bite. He never said a word. He never said, hey serpent, get out of here. He never said, come on Eve, don't listen to this. 
He never tried to stop her, and then he ate it too. Then the eyes of both of them were opened. And they realized they were, they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. This dawning shock of weight. This thing called shame that they had never felt in their lives suddenly comes on them, and they suddenly see themselves in a way they've never seen themselves before. And they think, oh, this is not good. What can we do? So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Verse 8, then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid. They hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. They hear God and, and they're like, oh, these, fig, these coverings of the leaves, it's, it's not enough, we can't face God. And they literally run off and try to hide in, in the trees. We see here today, in Genesis chapter three, uh, a failure in marriage. They were supposed to help each other Eve failed, Adam failed, they failed each other, they failed themselves, they failed God. And rather than help each other stay out of sin, Adam and Eve helped each other jump right in. Eve pulls Adam into her sin, Adam doesn't try to stop Eve, Adam joins Eve. They don't help each other avoid sin when they could have. In church, so many times I have heard stories from our little church family here about times when we really needed to help our husbands and wives. We needed to help our, our dating relationships. We needed to help each other follow Jesus and not jump in. And instead, they, they try to hide. They distance themselves from God. You know that sense of pulling away from God when, when you're not in step with him? That's, that's a true and an honest and a legitimate feeling. Because it's true that we're not worthy to stand in God's presence. But so often, we let that keep us from receiving the love of God and receiving the grace of God, and we stay stuck here. And that's not what God, where God's going to want them to stay. In the Bible, there are lots of examples of couples that don't help each other do the right thing. Some of them are a, are a little shocking. Some are, well, actually... Are they all shocking? They are, they're all a little shocking. But, uh, but in the Bible, we have some pictures of some relationships, marriages and friendships, of, of people who don't help each other follow God. So let's just talk through these a minute so you can get a picture in your mind of what this looks like. In the New Testament, we have a, a married couple named Ananias and Sapphira. They were church folk, average, ordinary church folk. They were part of the very first church in Jerusalem. And like everybody was doing, they sold a piece of property, and then they were taking the money, and people were putting the money into the church offering, and it was being used to help meet people's needs and used to, to do the, the ministry of the early church. And so uh, they, Ananias and Sapphira agreed they were going to sell some property, and then they both decided together, it, it, the scripture says, with his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, 
but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. And he said, here, here, we sold this property, here's the offering. And he made it look like he was giving a whole offering rather than a partial offering. Well, Peter uh, gets filled with Holy Spirit. He figures out what's going on. And Peter says, Ananias, if you had, you didn't have to sell your property in the first place. You could have kept your property. No one was making you do this. And he said, and furthermore, even if you had sold it, you are allowed to keep some of it for yourself. You don't have to give 100% of it to this special offering. But the fact that you lied about it and made it look like something that it's not is really a big problem. And in that moment, Ananias is struck down dead by God. Three hours later, Sapphira, who was out doing who knows what and doesn't know what has happened, comes and Peter says to her, Sapphira, is this the whole amount? And she lies and she says, yes, just like Ananias. Yes, this is the whole amount. And Peter confronts her and she drops down dead too. Now, if you want to know like all about that, you've got to go listen to our Acts series because I don't have time to go into that today. But the point here is that husband and wife were in this together, helping each other sin. We do this in some of our relationships. We cover for each other. We try to compensate for each other. They did not help each other follow the Lord. Uh, Another example in the Bible, Old Testament, Abraham and Sarah. God came to Abraham and Sarah. He told Abraham, you're going to have a child in your old age, and it is through this child that I'm going to do a big work. And then he came individually to Sarah, and he met specifically with Sarah, and he said, hey, Sarah, I'm going to come to you in your old age. You're going to have a child. You're going to have a baby. They're both senior citizens. They're like senior of the senior citizens. They're really old. This is not something that is naturally going to happen here. And over a period of time, because a long time goes by, they decide clearly God's going to need some help here. So they decide together, Sarah gets this idea, a not-so-brilliant idea, that since she herself isn't going to have any children, that instead she should take her Egyptian maidservant, Hagar, who's a lot younger than her, and that Hagar should sleep with Abraham. They should do that until they have a baby, and then that baby's going to belong to Sarah, and then Sarah can raise that baby as, as the son. Surely God needs a little bit of help figuring this out. Abraham says, Sarah, that's a good idea which it's not. I mean, Sarah's a terrible idea, and Abraham doesn't step up and say, hey, not, a, not good, not a great idea. But instead, they go along with it. Hagar gets pregnant, yes, but then all sorts of problems happen. Again, an example when really they could have helped each other out here. One more example. This one is between friends, good friends, childhood friends who've grown up together, who have a deep bond together. This is about a man named Rehoboam. He's the son of King David. King David has now passed away. Rehoboam is now coming into kingship. And in his very first meeting in public as the king, the people come to him and they say, Rehoboam, your father David put a heavy yoke on us. But now lighten the harsh labor and the heavy yoke and we'll serve you. He says, make our, they say, make our lives a little bit easier and we'll gladly have you as our king. It's, it's too much for us to handle right now. And Rehoboam says, I'll think about it. So he goes for three weeks. He goes and he thinks about it. He talks to the elders, the, the wise and godly people of Israel. And he, the elders say, Rehoboam, lighten the load. Lighten the load. He, he says, how would you advise me? And they say, if you will be a servant to these people and you will serve them and give them a favorable answer of what they want, they will always serve you in return. Good, good advice, Right? But Rehoboam then goes to his friends and he says, friends, his young, young, inexperienced friends, and he says, tell me how you would advise me. 
and they say, oh, you just need to step it up. You just need to come down hard and heavy. You need to say, my father laid a heavy yoke on you. I will make it heavier. My father scourged you with whips. I will scourge you with scorpions. And Rehoboam says, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. And he gets all caught up in that, and that's what he goes and tells the people, and it does not go well for Rehoboam. These are Bible examples. But we do this too. We encourage each other toward things we shouldn't. We say, oh, I, you know, I, I just want to support my spouse, so, you know, you do what you want. We say, it, you know, this probably isn't a good idea, but I don't, I, I'm just not really sure what to do here, and I don't, I don't feel strong enough to intervene, so I'm just going to let it be. Our, close, our closest relationships, sometimes we can enable sin in each other. As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. And we have our own failures in relationship. We haven't always sharpened one another when we needed to. We haven't always been sharpened. We've been the re- like Rehoboam and not been sharpened when we need to be. But from the first day that Adam and Eve ate from that mysterious tree, and from the first day they discovered their shame, from, from the b- first day of that distorted thinking, God initiated his rescue plan. He, he initiated a rescue plan to restore our relationship with him and our relationship with each other. When the fall happened, our, our connection with God was broken, our connection with each other was broken, our connection in our own selves was broken, and our connection with creation was broken. And the work of Jesus is a work of res- restoration and redemption to restore all of these relationships. So let's briefly look at what does it look like to help each other follow the Lord? How, how practically can we do this? The first one is kind of a, an odd word, so, so bear with me. The first word, number one, is co-rulership. We need to help each other practice co-rulership. And by this I mean I want you to remember your God-given design why you were created as a human in the first place, and what God had in mind when he created humanity. God designed us to be people of authority on this earth, to be people of agency, to be leaders and rulers over his creation. Genesis 1.26, God says, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule. He creates humans on the last day of creation. Humans are the pinnacle of creation, God's crowning glory, made in the image not of an animal, not of a plant, not of an ocean, not of a planet, but made in the image of God himself. And God says, I am the ruler over all. I'm the ruler of rulers and the king of kings, but you are my vice regents. You are the kings and queens over this creation. Just like Yearling's poem this morning, we are the kings and queens of God's creation, and God has destined us to rule and have authority over the earth, to have dominion over the earth. And God says, I want you to rule together. He says, let them rule. The man and the woman rule together and have a co-rulership. There's equity between the man and the woman. It's not until the fall happens that hierarchy happens between the, male and the man and the woman. 
at the fall, the Lord says part of what happens when sin enters is he says to the woman, your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. Now there's a distorted ruling that's happening that Jesus will then be overturning when he comes and makes all things new. This is not God's original design. It's the result of twisted dominion. And as God's men and God's women, we have a special place in creation to take authority together over the creation God has given us. I say all this to say, godly relationships are going to help you do this. A mature, godly relationship, whether it's in marriage or in dating or in friendship, they're going to be able to say to you, remember who you are. Remember who God made you to be. Remember that you belong to God and remember that he is empowering you and he has made you in his image and I treasure you as a friend, I treasure you as a loved one made in God's image and I I honor you as someone made in God's image. Co-rulership. The second thing, what does it look like to help each other follow the Lord? Number two, it looks like community. We, We help each other dig into community when we struggle. There is no passage of scripture that better illustrates how we were designed for community than Genesis 1 through 3. God created male and female together to be his image. We we don't have one or the other just representing the image of God. It's together that we image God together. He designed us not to be alone, but to be in community with himself and with each other. Ecclesiastes 4.9 says, Two are better than one because they have a good return for their work. If one falls down, his friend can help him up. But pity the one who falls and has no one to help him up. I want to say here to you, you are designed for community with each other, and you're designed for Christian community. You're designed for church community. You're designed to be in connection with other Christians, just like we are here today. Church was Jesus' idea. He was the one who started the whole thing. And I want to say, if your significant other, if your friend is not encouraging you toward Christian community, then if you're dating, if you're friends, set up boundaries. Run if you're dating. If you're married, you gotta, it's a different thing you've got to kind of sort through. There's some different rules in Scripture. But we should be encouraging one another toward Christian community and helping each other toward that. What does it look like to help each other follow the Lord? Number three, the third word is covenant. Help each other remember that our, our dating relationship isn't just about us. Our, our married, marriage relationship isn't just about us. Our friendships aren't just about us. But Jesus, Jesus is part of the relationship. Jesus is in the community of our marriage. Jesus is in the community of our dating. Jesus is in, if it's a Christian friendship, is in the community of our friendship. Ecclesiastes 4.12 has an interesting word picture. It says, Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. Once in a while, in a marriage ceremony, you'll see a couple take this, fr- this verse, a cord of three strands is not quickly broken, and they'll have three cords, and as part of the ceremony, they will together braid it. And one strand of rope is somewhat strong, but it's stronger when it is the husband and the wife and Jesus all woven together in unity together. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. You need to know that God wants to be in your romantic relationships and in your friendships. We've talked about speaking scripture to each other, 
We've talked about having Christian conversations. These are ways that you practice that and foster it. Number four, what does it look like to follow the Lord? Help people follow God's commands. Help each other follow the Lord's commands. When Jesus left the earth, he told his disciples, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Part of what we do as Christians is we teach other people to obey. And some of you are saying, I don't want to teach somebody else. Like, who am I to do that? I don't have all the answers. And I don't want to boss people around. Like, people wouldn't take that from me. All I know is Jesus says, teach people to obey me as best as you know how. That's what a discipleship relationship looks like. A truly meaningful, deep, mature Christian relationship will help each other obey Jesus more. I, my, I grow so much when my husband has, the, has clarity of mind to say, hey, Christy, you are not following Jesus here. He, he just told me, the other day, I don't even know what we were talking about. This was a couple weeks ago. And I was, I was complaining about something or I was t- talking about my insecurities about something. I don't even remember what it was. And he listened patiently, as he usually does. And finally, actually, as he always does, he's a very patient man. And, uh, and finally, he said, he said, Christy, you are just really focused on yourself right now. This, you're making this all about you, and it's not about you. you. You need to just remember to be selfless here. And I was like, oh, you're right. And it gave me a completely different perspective and helped me say, I'm sorry, this isn't about me right now. Let, let's, let's move on. And I'm glad that I have someone in my life who even in the small things will speak up and say, hey, is that really what Jesus wants for you right now? Is this really in line with the kind of person he's calling you to become? And the final one is confront. I feel like this is something you know and you've heard and yet all of us struggle with. But we have to be comfortable confronting each other. We need to help each other toward godliness even when it's hard. When, when Adam and Eve ate the fruit, you know what God did? As he's walking in the garden in the cool of the day, And as they run off and hide, what God does is he calls out to them. He goes after them. He says, where are you? He knows. He knows what's going on. He knows something's wrong. And he says, who who told you you were naked? Who told you that? And he said, have you, have you eaten from the tree? They say, yes, we've eaten from the tree. He knows. He knows they've eaten from the tree, but he gives them an opportunity c- to confess it. He says, what have you done? This is the, the pursuing God who says, you know what? Let's not avoid or ignore your sin. Let's not pretend it never happened. He says, let's lean in here. Matthew 18 is a passage often used to talk about a, a, a way of biblical confrontation. It says, if someone, if your brother or sister in Christ has sinned against you, here's what you should do. And it proceeds to go through and give steps. Like, first of all, you go directly to the person. If, some, if someone is, has sinned against you, you don't go and, like, tell everybody else first and, like, process it with your group. You go to the person. Just between you two. And if, if they receive it, and they say, yeah, you're right, I'm sorry. 
great. Restored relationship, move on. If they say, uh-uh, I don't take it, I don't receive it, then, then the Bible says, then you go and get somebody else and, and you go back again. That's hard to do. You go back again. You say, actually, you know what, I, I really want to talk about this. Maybe, maybe you didn't understand the first time. Maybe something got missed. Maybe, but let's, I, I want to talk about it again. This is really serious. And then it says, and if that doesn't work, then bring someone from the church community with you and, and do it again. And then if it, that doesn't work, then, then it goes to more drastic measures. But, but the point is, we have to be courageous, mature Christians to have these conversations. Because if we don't, all sorts of evil breaks out. It breaks out in us. All the ugliness affects us. We get brought into stuff. Gossip can happen. It can just get totally out of control. And the other person doesn't get checked in their sin. It's, it, this is the healthy way that the Bible tells us, go at it. It doesn't mean it's the easy way. It means it's, it's the way that God wants us to do it. It's almost like God knew we were going to have to figure out ways to get along with each other and that it might be hard. Because it is sometimes. Proverbs 27.6 says, Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. Wounds from a friend can be trusted. If someone's coming to you and saying, hey, can we talk? And if they're a friend, give it a listen. We have to help each other follow Jesus. And so I wonder for you, are, are you helping your friends follow Jesus? Is the Lord kind of putting something on your heart right now of, you know, maybe... Maybe we should talk about something here. What about in your dating relationship? Is your dating relationship honoring to God? Is that person, that, that your boyfriend or your girlfriend, encouraging you in your relationship with God or, or pulling you away? Pay attention now. Now is the time to evaluate that question, not years down the road. Now is the time for that. And, and with, with your spouse, if you're married, you're in a discipleship relationship. You're able to speak into each other's lives in a way that almost nobody else can. How are you stewarding that opportunity to disciple each other and, and be in a covenant communion together? I want to give you a word of hope today because as I've mentioned, I've, I've talked with so many people, I, I feel like so many in the last few years, who have not helped each other, who, if anything, have helped each other eat the forbidden fruit. And some couples have gladly gone off, happy that they ate the fruit and have left the garden and moved on. Others have repented and sought to come back and, and tried to figure out, okay, how do we go forward from here? I don't know anybody who hasn't gotten off track at one point or another. But I want you to know that if you've got some trouble, if you're off track, maybe you're way off track. Maybe there's something way off track in your relationship. Or maybe you're just a little off. Like, hey, we're, we're trying to do this thing, but we're just, you know, there's this little thing that just won't go away. Ever since Adam and Eve got in trouble, Ever since they realized they were naked and they were overcome with shame, ever since they were way off track, 
God has offered a new way forward. Because they had these fig leaves on. And God said, that's not going to work for you. And the first thing that God does is he clothes them with grace. He takes those fig leaf coverings and he instead gives them skins, clothing made of skins to cover over them. He gives them these animal skins that cover them and give them dignity and give them forgiveness better than anything they could do on their own. And you realize, don't you, that if there's going to be an animal skin that meant that an animal had to die for that to happen. The first death in the Garden of Eden. And God himself initiates the sacrifice. God himself initiates that animal sacrifice, that first act of death, in order to cover over the shame and to bring restoration and hope and a future to these people. In city life, we too can be clothed with God's grace. He can take our failures, big and small, and cover over them if we'll simply come and confess our wrongdoing and humbly receive his new clothes. Some places in the Bible call it the garments of righteousness. And the invitation for you today is as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Let's sharpen each other toward holiness, toward godliness, toward Christ-likeness. And I want to take just a moment now to, as we, as we um, wrap up here, to give you just a moment to come and pray at the altar, just quietly by yourself or with, with someone if you'd like to. We're going to go into a time of prayer. Uh, would you please stand where you are? And if you'd like to just come and tell God, make a commitment to God, Say, God, I, I, wanna, I want you to do something in me. I, I need you to do something in me. Or if you would like to pray about having a hard conversation with somebody else. God, I need, I need wisdom and courage to have that. Would you just come and let's pray together and ask the Lord to do this in us. And Lord Jesus, we come before you. Change us, make us new.